Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. want to celebrate your presence and declare our submission to you as Lord. And Father, I pray that you just join with us this morning. May your Holy Spirit have free reign, Lord, as we just celebrate the Trinity in all of its full glory. Thank you for your goodness. Just thank you for this opportunity. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Mark chapter 9 as we just continue in our study in the Gospel of Mark. I pray that you've been enjoying it, and it's good to be back into Mark after several weeks. We're looking at the Gospel of Mark, Jesus, the Son of Man. We're looking at Jesus now. It's his journey to Jerusalem, and the title of the message is Help My Unbelief, as we look at Mark chapter 9. Have you ever had a public failure? Have you ever failed publicly? Nothing more embarrassing than a public failure. And in this one, I want to share with you the story of a psychic fighter who is no match for an actual fighter. Young guy Raku is a Japanese fighter who claims to be an expert in the art of kaiya, or psychic fighting. His technique allegedly allows him to defeat his opponents without actually ever touching them, using the psychic power of chi rather than the more traditional power of just punching dudes in the face. A video of him doing so in action against his students is actually quite laughable, as it shows his style, relies on casually waving his arms and his hands through the air while his disciples take stage dives. If you saw this out of context, we'd assume it was just bad play. Well, you would think that his antics are a scam to trick the gullible wimps into forking out money, and this is the way that he does it. However, he seems to be firmly convinced that his own abilities are real and true, because he put down a $5,000 bet with an MMA fighter that he could protect himself and defeat this man. And so they videotaped it, and you can YouTube it if you like, and we can assume that his students felt kind of uncomfortable as they realized that their sensei, so to speak, is about to fight when they were taking stage dives for him, but yet here they are giving him encouragement as the fight begins. He begins to move his arms and use his psychic ability to start doing this, and the crowd is ooing and aahing, and all of a sudden, you can see that the MMA fighter is looking at him and realizing uh, nothing's happening here, finally unlooses on the man and just starts just wailing on him. The guy finally goes down, only to be brought back up, and the MMA fighter says, this is it, I'm done, This, this guy is nothing. However, the man himself, the sensei, gets up and says, yes, let's continue to do this, unaware of his inability to use psychic powers to block this. He is not in tune with the force, so to speak. And so as he goes on, eventually the man is put down, as winds up at the end of the video, is in a fetal position as everyone is just looking on, wondering what's going on. Talk about a public humiliation. This man believed he could do. He could just wave his arms, and since uh, his disciples and all those, you know, the people, his students were just taking dice for him, he grew to believe that this was actually something that he could do. But what we're going to look at is there's sometimes there's public humiliation that shows our inability to do something. Father, just give us wisdom this morning as we open up Mark 
Help us to understand it. Help us to be able to respond to something written over 2,000 years ago, talking about an incident that most of us really could not relate to in this modern world. But yet, Father, I pray that we recognize the truth and the timeless spiritual truths that are here in your word. Be with me as I speak. Lord, let me speak the words that are edifying. Let us tell the difference between my mere opinion and what your truth has for us. And may we respond accordingly. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as you go to Mark chapter 9, we're going to look at a very public humiliation. I want to give you four observations and four considerations, some spiritual truths for you to consider. So as we go here, we're going to look at the beginning of Mark chapter 19 at verse 14, where we see Jesus returns to find the remaining disciples in trouble. Let's read along here. And when they came to the disciples, speaking of Jesus, Peter and James and John, they saw a great crowd around them, scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him as a teacher. I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. He could not speak. And whenever it sees him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able In this passage, we find Jesus, Peter, James, and John returning from the mountaintop experience of the transfiguration. What a wonderful spiritual moment that we saw the last few weeks. Meanwhile, the remaining disciples find themselves in a quandary without Jesus. As we're doing this, a man comes seeking Jesus to heal his son from a demon. However, with Jesus gone and the other three disciples, it's just the C team, so to speak. The disciples are full of confidence, though, for their past victories and success in casting out demons. They have done this, but they're surprised in their attempt to do so, finds them quickly, publicly humiliated when they fail to do so. The failure of the disciples is probably an unwelcome surprise to them and to everyone else except the scribes, who were probably gloating over the failure of the disciples. As I said again, have you ever had a public failure? It's not very fun. Most likely, you've had nightmares about such things. Some dreams that we share, you know, being somewhere all of a sudden in front of people without your pants or driving somewhere or going somewhere and, and something not working right. But the disciples were living it in real time with a very large audience. This was life for them. You could almost imagine how they were responding and looking at each other. Well, will you try. They, I mean, they had nine of them. Well, you try it. Well, let's all get together and let's try to do this. But Failure, failure, failure. Surely the scribes were using their very public humiliation and failure to cast doubt not only on their ability, but even that of Jesus. Could you imagine what they might have been saying? Were were not these men disciples of Jesus? Had they not been given authority to cast out demons? Had not these men have told us that they had the ability to do so? See, they are impotent, they might have shared or said. They have no power, nor does their master. Might have, been seen, uh, might have been some of the scorn that was heaped upon them. The crowd who were so anxious to see a miracle and witness a miracle were disappointed and may have joined in in the cheers and the scorn. The poor father and son were probably dejected at the lack of healing as they had made come desiring to see healing. The scribes, however, were delighted at the turn of events. And this happens time and time again. When Jesus' people, when Christians, find themselves with an inability to trust. 
Here's something I'd like for you to consider. It'll be here on the screen. Is that you and I have to recognize that our inability to live out our faith gives cause for skeptics and haters to doubt or deny the goodness and power of Jesus. In this case, it was the disciples' inability to heal. Now, you and I are not given ability to heal, but he has called us to follow him, to obey his word. And many times we see in Scripture where David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, the King James says that his sin has caused the enemies of God to scorn him. When you and I have to realize that there are people who are looking at how Christians live. When we say that we believe these things, when we say that these things are real, but yet we do not live it out, we find that it causes the enemy to scorn us. And it causes those who may doubt. And so you and I have to realize is that our inability to live out our faith, to live out what we say we believe, gives cause for skeptics and haters to doubt or deny the goodness and power of Jesus. Let me ask, without answering me back, this is rhetorical. Has there been times when you've said certain things but not lived out what the Bible says and others have used it against you? Are you found in your own guilt? And we need to recognize that this is what's happened to the disciples. Hey, we can heal, we can do this, but then public humiliation. And I don't know if you've ever faced a public humiliation for the cause of Christ. It's not a good thing. Eating crow, no matter if it's hot or warm or cold, is never something that's pleasant. And that's what's happening. So I'd ask you, as we look at here, would you consider, are you having an inability in your life? Is there a thing in which you say, I believe this, I believe this can happen, but your life shows that it's not true? Has it caused others to either scorn our Savior, or has it caused doubt in the minds? Well, as we go on in verse 19, we see that the troubled man pleads with Jesus to heal his son. Let's look at that verse, verse 19. And he answered them and said, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground. And he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on him and help us. Finally, Jesus is here. This is the one that the father was coming to seek. This is the one that the son truly need to see. The real deal, Jesus is here. And hearing of the argument, Jesus gives words to an expression of wonderment, and maybe a little bit of expression of just what in the world is going to happen at their lack of faith. He could be speaking to the disciples, saying, oh, faithless generation. He could have been speaking to the crowd or to the scribes, or maybe even to the Father, or maybe he was to all of them, but yet he's saying, how long? I will not be here forever. But he goes on regardless. He goes on to ask the Father, please describe the problem. What is happening with your son. And it seems like his son is suffering what you and I would now call epileptic seizures that are attributed, though, to a demon. This is evident not so much by the seizures themselves, we would see this description today, but by the violent attempts that would cause this young man to bring himself to physical harm, in which he would try to kill him and harm him by 
throwing himself in the water and the fire and so on and so forth. This is not something that is a normal, natural illness and disease. We're not given the young man's age, but it seems like he's been suffering from it since he was a child. Though not his age, it seems like it's been a long period of time. With nowhere or no one to go for deliverance, they have sought out Jesus for healing. And that's where you need to go. We've been looking through Mark. Healing is found in Jesus' name and through Jesus. The father asked for healing the boy, though what is interesting as you look at it, is he bases his healing, his request, on the ability. When he says, if you can, and on not only Christ's ability, but also Christ's willingness, would you have compassion on him? And so he asks whether on the ability and the willingness of Jesus. And here's the thing that I want you to consider. Here's the spiritual truth I believe that's important for you and I. When we come and we're asking Jesus to do something, when we're wanting something for God, is that you and I, our prayer request should be based on the power and the goodness of God. How many times do we ask God's favor because of who we are and what we've done? Lord, you know how good I am. Lord, you know how hard I've worked for this. Or many times what we do is we do something and then we ask for God to bless what we've already planned. It's been based on our ability, on our strength, on our ingenuity, maybe on our creativity. And we say, God, bless what I've already started. But yet in this case, when you and I go before God, we should ask, just as this man did, based on the power, if you can, and based on his willingness, Lord, on your compassion, on your goodness. Are you struggling today? Maybe there's something that you've been praying about for a while. And I would pray, and I would encourage you, take Scripture. Look at David. David, when he prayed, Father, you are the providential God. You are the one who's the healer of all diseases. And Father, would you have compassion on me? He's proclaiming on the goodness of God. You and I use these kind of statements all the time. Hey, honey, if you love me, you get up and make me some popcorn. Hey, honey, if you love me, can you turn on the coffee pot? Now, these are just not our examples. I'm not teasing this. But we say those type of statements. You know, if you really cared for me, you would do this. If you're my child, you would listen to me. What are we basing our request on? On our relationship, on a, person, on a personal contact. And we do that with each other. You know, I had someone come over to help me with my sink that I've been struggling with. And why did he come? Based on our relationship. Those are things that matter to us. These are things that hold us together in the same way. When we pray. We need to base it on God who is all providence and the one who is the great provider and base it on his compassion, on his goodness and his love. I believe this. I believe this with all my heart that God loves to hear his words prayed back to him. If any of you lack wisdom, what does it say? For the mass of God. Father, you are the giver of all wisdom. And you have promised through James, your half-brother, that you would give us wisdom if we ask. So Lord, on your goodness, based on your promise, would you please give me wisdom? It says if you have not, because you what? Ask not, or you ask amiss. So let me ask you this morning, in your praying, in your desire for God to bless your life, are you asking based on His power? or on his goodness? Or are you like the man that says, if, if, if? 
And that's interesting because we come to uh, chapter, as we come, I'm sorry, as we come to verse 23, Jesus is going to respond by demonstrating both his ability and his character. Look at verse 23. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You moot and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Verse 26, And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. In the beginning of that verse, Jesus fixated on the if statement. But if you can. Have you ever had a teacher, an employer, or someone tell you and warn you about if statements? Don't say if. Say you can. Don't say if. If you love me. Now, I know that you love me. Could you do this? Could you demonstrate it by doing this? And Jesus fixates on that. And he, he encourages the man with this exclamation. If I can, of course I can. Let me demonstrate that I can. Now, this is not one of those things in which you're double daring Jesus to do something. But sometimes we do that. But yet, God says, test me. Now, that doesn't mean test me to see. You know, it's not like a kid who says, you know, like Landon sometimes when we tell him, Landon, don't you touch that wall. Don't you touch that wall. And he's looking at, you know, we're doing that. That's not what he's saying, but he says, test me. Test and see. He says, pray, and will you not see if I'll provide for you good measure? The same way, taste and see that God is good. I think many times you and I just don't believe God can do these things. I'll admit that there are times where I struggle with believing that God can do things. I've shared the story, to my humiliation, that I did not believe that God would ever save my father. Not after 30 years. We just gave up. I gave up praying. I did not pray on the goodness or the power of God any longer. I had just given up. But I'm glad God hadn't. I'm glad others hadn't. Because after 30 years of it, he finally accepted Christ few years before he passed away. You and I need to realize that. That it's not about if, but he can. And Jesus demonstrates. A man brought his son to Jesus, believing that he could heal him. However, doubt had crept in his mind when the disciples failed. Maybe what I've heard about Jesus' disciples are not true. He might have heard his stories. And so he says, Jesus is in my area. I've got to go check it out. Is it true? And all of a sudden, when it happened, you can imagine as the arguments are going and he's listening to the skeptics, he's seeing the dejected faces of the disciples, the public humiliation, the surprise. And he says, well, maybe Jesus can't do it. Or maybe Jesus won't do it. Let's be honest, you've thought that way. You've had the very same thoughts. Maybe not in those very particular words, but she said, I don't think Jesus wants me. I don't think Jesus wants me to do this. I don't think Jesus wants to bless me. And this is not a prosperity message in any form or fashion. But yet something that they have right, maybe not fully, is that God is seeking there to bless his children. He desires to give good gifts. He tells us to go as that persistent widow to the judge asking for justice basing it on his goodness and his ability. 
This man is guilty of imperfect faith. He is struggling to believe that Jesus could heal his son. His doubt is clouding his trust in Jesus. Hence, if you can. But you and I, when we went through the book of Genesis and other portions of the Old Testament, we see that many mighty men of God struggled with imperfect and even immature faith. Remember Abraham, where he didn't go all the way when God first told him. There were times that he didn't trust God that he would give him a son, and so they made his own pack, him and his wife, and they tried different things. He would lie, he would do this. But we saw his faith grow. I think of Moses who said, God, I can't speak, you can't send me. I think of Gideon who says, but I'm the youngest from my tribe. There's no way that I can do it. And then when he finally agrees to it, he says, well, God, you want me to only go to the Midianites, 100,000 men with only 300? I think of David, who though he was a man after God's own heart, many times doubted God. We see that in his Psalms. We're very simple and very crying out, Lord, why do my enemies scorn me? Randy read it earlier in Psalms 86 where he's talking about that the enemies are coming, but I pray to you. Then we even think of the man that we just studied last week or two weeks ago as John the Baptist. While he was sitting in prison waiting for his end times, he's asking Jesus, he's sending disciples, says, are you the one? Are you the one that we've been preaching about? Are you the one that we've been looking for? The great men that have created had doubt in their hearts, so it's no wonder that this man has it. Jesus encourages them, though, that all things are possible for the one who believes. Do you believe that? That all things are possible for the one who believes. The father responds with that word of encouragement, with the desperate cry, I believe, I believe, but help my unbelief, he cries out. His faith was far from perfect, yet he pleaded for more. He wanted to be strengthened in his belief. And with one command, Jesus delivers this young man from the demon. The father and the son are rewarded even in the midst of their doubt, even with imperfect, immature faith, God blessed and healed. See, Jesus rewards the man who demonstrates great humility with reliance on Christ. Look at something to consider. Here's the truth. Is that God blesses His children who are humble and simply rely on Him. James 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me ask, how do you approach God? When you come in your prayer, do you come to Christ as someone who demands that He obey? Is he a a genie who's supposed to perform those things that you want? Is he just like your grandfather who says, give me, give me, give me, or you ask him, give me, give me, give me? Is it Santa that you just sit on the knees and he just gives you what you want? And now you're doubt, you become skeptic because you do not have. You pray and you say, why is it that my marriage is still struggling? Why am I having this financial hardship? Why am I still fighting with this sin, this temptation? Father, why is my life? You must not love me. Pride that's entering our hearts. But God says it's simple. Rely on Him. For God rewards those even with imperfect, immature faith as we humble ourselves and just rely on Him. 
Fourthly, Jesus and the disciples conduct an incident debrief. You ever heard the phrase incident debrief? If you've ever been in a military, maybe in uh, some type of paramilitary, you'll have that. With the fire department, we do that when they have an incident. They'll come together and they'll debrief. And I've been in several of those with people, and sometimes they've been some very difficult things, and we sit down and we just debrief. We talk about the incident. We try to help people through it and try to find some things that could have been better and some things that maybe didn't go very well. And this is what happens here as we look at verse 28. Join with me. It says, and when they had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately. And you've got to imagine, disciples probably are struggling with some very doubt themselves. There's nothing that will make you question yourself than public humiliation, a failure in front of everyone. He says, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but by prayer. Disciples privately asked Jesus, what's going on? Why couldn't we do this? We, we truly want to know. I'm sure that they were relieved when Jesus was able to heal this son. There's some type of redemption, but even Jesus' success here would actually highlight their failure to do so. They would probably question themselves, are we nothing without Peter, James, and John? Are we nothing without Jesus? And remember, Jesus has been telling them that, hey, I'm going to die. They don't fully understand it. They don't understand all what's going on, but there's these things that are probably getting in their mind. Disciples successfully performed such acts before. We have already read in Mark that Jesus had given them power to do so. In chapter 3, verse 14, he says, And he appointed the twelve so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. In chapter 6, it says Jesus called the twelve and he began to send them out two by two and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits and they cast out many demons, anointed oil with many who were sick and healed them. The disciples had had a taste of success. They knew what it was like to say demon be gone and see that demon gone. They knew what it was like to go to someone who was sick and pray over that person, grab them by the hand, and set them up. Could you imagine such a feeling? And it was with that type of confidence that they approached this father and this crowd. Maybe they were thinking, well, here's our time to shine. They had done so before. The problem, though, as we see, is their lack of faith. And that was caused by a lack of prayer. See, here's the problem. They had taken the power of the Spirit for granted, as if it was from them and not from God. It was almost like that Japanese psychic fighter. Here he is doing all these things, and his students are just falling all over themselves, thinking it's true. So he, he took that as, oh, then I must really have the ability to do it, till he had a rude awakening. Boy, he woke up sore that next day. But this is what was happening from them. They begin to, their failure showed a lack of prayer. They showed a lack of reliance on God. They should immediately went to prayer. This public humiliation serves as a re-education to the principles of the kingdom of God. See, they begin to think that the power was within themselves and within their words. If we've done it before, we can do it again. And so they begin to heal him, but this time, public failure. Why? Because they stopped relying on God and began to rely on themselves. And when their failure happened, they didn't stop to pray and say, 
Father, what's going on here? I don't know at all what Mark doesn't give us the exact description and all the conversations, but it seems like they never went to prayer and said, Father, give us this power. It was something within them. And before we accuse them and look at them, we do much the same thing. There are times that you and I, we start off with God. And we start in the reliance on God and, and in humility with God, but then we gradually grow independent. It's kind of similar to learning how to ride a bike. I don't know if you remember when you first rode a bike or maybe your son or daughter or grandchild. There's nothing more fun. And it's just great. But you can imagine, remember the kid, you're holding them and they're going and they're kind of wobbling and you're kind of pushing them along. And then all of a sudden they think they got it, but you're still holding on. But then there's also those times where they're going and all of a sudden they think that you're holding on and they're going straight. The wind is in their face and they're just enjoying it. Don't let go, Dale. Don't let go, Dale. Okay, I won't. As they're going down and they realize they're riding it for the very first time. And then they think they're it. They think they're riding. They're going well. Until after a while, they have that first wipeout. And all of a sudden, oh, no. They feel that way. They can't do it. I, I remember we used to do all sorts of crazy things with bikes. We used to do such silly things I'd never let my kids do. We had big culverts, kind of like what you had out here. We didn't have concrete everywhere, okay? So we would actually have waters and rivers and stuff that would actually go on like sand and dirt and stuff. And so our culverts would just go under a street, and they would be anywhere from just a few inches. I mean, many of you have been to the West and Mideast, so you know what I'm talking about. But we had this big one that was about, man, about five feet deep, and it had a nice sand kind of base on it. And what we'd do is we would set up, this is so stupid, we would set up this big old... Um, ramp and then we would ride our bikes off the ramp because you would land on the sand about five feet down well then we got the smart idea that we could do that and that would be fun and so we started putting our bikes underneath and see how far you can jump off because you're just going to land on sand i can't tell you how many tires we broke and, and things of that nature but you can always tell there'd be one guy who thinks he's all in he'd ride his bike he'd go off and next thing you know he gets scared he bails jumps off or he winds up just crashing. We have one guy who was so confident, he would ride his bike and he would jump, and he had no bicycle seat. But he still had the bar sticking straight up. I never rode his bike. You could reach a good 10 feet or so up in the air and then come down, and I just kept imagining waiting for some public humiliation there. But after a while, you think, oh, I'm at, look what I'm doing. But eventually, there's going to be a ramp. There's going to be a distance that's too far and you're going to eat it. Now, out here, I guess it's surfing and maybe skateboards. Out there was bikes, jumping bikes, and things of that nature. But we have to realize there comes to a point is that we have to continue to rely on Christ. We get to this point where we feel that we have got it all together, and we no longer need Christ. I would submit to you that the reason that you may still be struggling with marriage issues, financial difficulties, and struggling with sin to this day with temptation is that you're not fully yet relying on God. And in those times that we fail, we are not relying on God. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not what? Fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That doesn't mean that we never fail, because we do. And we do so privately and we do so publicly. But yet he says, rely on him. Here's the truth that I want you to consider. Is that you and I have been given a mission and a mandate just like the disciples. 
And as we can go to that, something to consider. It says we cannot accomplish the mission and mandate that Christ has given us. Once again, you and I, we like the disciples, cannot accomplish the mission and mandate of Christ without a constant reliance on the power of God that comes through prayer. We cannot without a constant reliance. You and I, and I know I do this in just this pulpit and in this ministry, many times I get going. You can tell when I get to start, start fraying too, see, I just did it, start straying too much from my messages. That's why I write things down. Because the more I go, you can tell, the further I get away, here you can tell, I, you better be careful. Because the further I go, the little bit more bolder I get. And then all of a sudden, I got to come back and say, okay, what was I talking about? Why? We need that reliance. That's just an analogy, is you and I do that. We start walking away from God, and we think, look at me, look what I can do. But then all of a sudden, a public or a private failure humiliates us. And many times that public humiliation, instead of driving us to Jesus, to God, it drives us away. And we begin to say, I'll never be able to fight this temptation. I'll never be able to have a good marriage. I'll never have my finances in order. I'll never be able to do this. God just does not want me to fill in the blank. We cannot accomplish the mission and mandate you say, what's our mission and mandate? It's to reach up, it's to reach in, it's to reach out. We reach up by worshiping God, by focusing on Him. He's called us to worship Him with all our heart, our soul, and our might. He's called us then to reach in by living our lives with others through fellowship and discipleship, growing together, strengthening. And He's called us to reach out by serving and loving others, by serving them with their ministries, and by bringing them back to Christ, by sharing the gospel. That's the mandate that's been given to us through Scripture. We cannot accomplish that OVBC without a constant reliance on God that comes through prayer. For prayer is how God answers us. And again, I want to say this. You heard me say it. I know I'm being redundant. The redundancy is the key to learning. Is prayer for you and I is not biblically, scripturally, just us asking things of God. It's not us just saying, Lord, this is what I need. Now give it to me. Back the truck up. Prayer is not telling God what we need and making sure that he's aligned with me. But prayer is our time to align with the will of God. It's saying, Lord, what is it that you want with my life? Lord, what is it that you want me to do in my marriage? What do you want me to do in my finances? What do you want me to do in this temptation of sin? Father, how do you want me to be a good employer at work or a good employee? Father, how should I then live, as we talked about several weeks ago? It's found through prayer as we take God's word and read it. And it's the power that helps us to say, you need to get back on track. For God is the anchor, not us. Many times we think that we're the ones that's pale is wagging the dog. But we cannot accomplish the mission and mandate of Christ without a constant reliance on the power of God that comes through prayer. Let me end it with this. It's for you and I to be men and women that are not facing public fear, but are fulfilling what God has called us to, that are humble, 
is that you and I need to do these three things. The first thing that you need to do, this is how you need to respond. Here's how not to repeat the disciples' public failure is number one is ask God for more faith. You need to ask God for more faith. Just as this man said, help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. You need to ask God for more. The Bible tells us, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. The problem is, is our churches and our believers are filled with pews of people who believe much more highly of themselves than they should. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So here's the key. God has assigned to each and every believer, a child of God, a measure of faith. And he wants you to act in that faith, trust and rely on him based on that faith, in the same way saying, Lord, give me more. Help my unbelief. Let me ask you today, in what ways do you not trust in a promise of God? In what way, when it says, husband, love your wives, in what way are you not able to trust in that? When the Bible says, give of a cheerful heart, in what way are you not able to trust in that promise of God? Lord, help me to have more faith to be a cheerful giver. Lord, give me the faith to trust you that my wife is a gift and I ought to love her and hold myself pure for her. Does that make sense? That's what he's called us to. Yes, you do not have it within yourselves to do anything that God has called you to do. But if God has called you to do it, he has given you a measure of faith, and he says, ask me for more faith. The second thing is not only ask him for more faith, but believe in the power of prayer. This is something I struggle with. Yes, I go through it, but many times I'm not praying with expectation. I'm not praying, really expecting things. I feel many times I go through just the motions. You ever done that? Take your Bible and turn to James chapter 4. We saw this portion of Scripture a year or so ago when we went through the book of James. James chapter 4. Look at James chapter 4, verses 13. Look what it says. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him what? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Look at verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to one another and do what? Pray for one another. James chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore confess your sins that ye may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Verse 17 tells us, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it may not rain for three years and six months, and it did not rain. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Let me show you, believe in the power of prayer. And let me tell you, there are some people here that you probably need to connect with. How many, let's just do this, how many would honestly say, I struggle with that? Would you say, I do, I do. When we were young, Wednesday night was prayer night. And this is probably when I was Emily's age, you know, young, in my 20s. And there would be times when we would pray. Now, when we do that, there were certain people that you knew you didn't want to pray with. When he said break up in prayer, we'd all get around, and you'd have to get on your knees. And, and even then, I, I just couldn't do that on my knees. 
And I would find to make sure I am not praying with that deacon there. If I pray with Harold DeClute, I'm going to be there forever. I'd be there and I'm like this. 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 And the man, he's just, he's just warming up. And then my prayer is, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub type stuff. And I'm sitting there, man, this guy could pray forever and ever and ever. I'd find me some young teenager. I know him and I, are. we're going to get through prayer pretty quickly, and then we can just kind of sit there and wait for everyone else. Did I just publicly humiliate myself? Probably. But I'm just admitting that's the type of prayer life I had as a young person. Now you come on Tuesday, which I want to encourage you to do. It's Tuesday morning at 7. I know that's difficult for some of you, but we get together and pray. And it's some of the sweetest time when we just pray. We pray for you guys by name. We pray for churches. We pray for our missionaries. We pray for each other. Join us in that prayer. But where I'm going is that we need to learn to pray better and more. I struggle with prayer. And I struggle with believing in prayer. So here's the thing. There are some of you in this congregation that are great prayer warriors. And I want to know you. Because there are people that you need to partner to someone who teaches you how to pray and pray effectively through God's word and the belief in Christ. So believe in the power of prayer, ask for more faith, and then lastly, commit to a life of constant prayer. The Bible tells us, it commands us actually to pray without ceasing. That means we don't walk around with some bead, just counting them and just praying around as we go along, mumbling around. That means to be in a constant state of prayer. I get up in the morning, Father, just leave me not in temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. That's my, that's my routine as I'm getting out of bed. Father, help me do this. When I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm saying a prayer, Lord, help me to be fruitful and productive. As I go through, Lord, help me with this meeting that's coming up. Give me strength. When I see a picture of someone, Lord, just, just be with Terry this, this week. I haven't talked to him in a while. Lord, just bless him. Uh, Father, just help in this situation. That's the constant state of prayer. And we need to be in that way. Why? Because God works through the prayer of his children. Here's the conclusion. Our action in response to this passage this morning is to have the same attitude as this father who cries out for more faith. Would you join me this morning and say, I believe, yet help my unbelief. Help me to pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I'd just like for you to take a moment to pause, to consider, to pray and to respond to what God may be doing this morning. Maybe you've suffered some public or private humiliation and that God has not been answering your prayer or you've been going through your life without a time of consistent prayer. Would you commit to that this morning? Would you come to believe in the power of prayer and that working on your own as hard as you might power is found in prayer, not in our own works. And if not, would you ask God for more faith? For more faith, would you do so this time? Father, you're a good Father. You're a good God. And Father, I pray that you would just put on this church a desire for more power, a desire for more prayer. Lord, I pray that you would just give your spirit to increase our desire for the Lord. Help our unbelief. Show us those areas in our lives where we do not trust you and supply what's lacking in our faith. Lord, help us to believe truly in the power of prayer and the fact that that is your agent, that's your change agent in working out through your providence and your provision. And Father, Lord, may we to this morning commit to that life of prayer, of not making decisions, not going through our day without calling out to you. 
Would we commit to that this morning? We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.